You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and all things modern culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang, and thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe and healthy and that you are practicing social distancing. I know in some places it's just a suggestion, but this is me, first of all, saying it's not a suggestion. It's a guideline and it's a safety measure. So I'm going to start off real dramatic-like and tell you I really hope and semi-demand that you are doing social distancing, that you're practicing social distancing, because a lot of lives are at stake right now in people's general health. Um, and we don't want to see what the consequences are. Please don't be Florida and still go to like church services and whatnot. Please don't be Florida again and doing like spring break nonsense. We can deal with being alone and, you know, cooking meals and watching movies on Netflix and talking with friends online. We can handle that. I know there are some extroverts who are like dying inside, but I get it. I used to be there, but being alone can be great. So just do the right thing. Okay, stay at home. Um, Yeah, that's my very impassioned intro to this week's episode, um, which is just a check-in on everybody and gathering our thoughts, not really our thoughts because it's just me, but gathering thoughts and um, processing everything that's been thrown at us these last couple weeks. So if you're one of those people out there who is completely sick and tired of hearing about coronavirus, If you didn't know that that's what I was referring to this entire time that I was introducing this episode, um, if you're completely sick of it, I get it. Then you can just go listen to an old episode or go listen to another podcast. But good luck because most conversations right now are about COVID-19. But yeah, this is this is me checking in with all of you and noting some some situations that I've been taking some time to to mature, I guess, in my mind. Um, It's funny, I had a different episode that I'd recorded, actually two episodes, that I ended up scrapping because the way that those conversations went, I felt, were not an accurate reflection of my true thoughts on certain situations. So I know that's super vague and mysterious and completely irrelevant because I'm talking about episodes that you'll never hear. But I'm just explaining myself that um, it's taken me a minute to get to this point because there's been so much that's been happening in my life personally and then in the greater universe um, as it is the same for all of us that it's taken a minute to really process things. And I mean, I'm still processing stuff because every single freaking day it feels like there's something different. There's a new policy update. There's a new change. There's a new discovery scientifically. There is a new data point of deaths and projections and sicknesses and rates. And now they're happening very locally, at least for me here in Los Angeles, where we're getting increased cases because America's so freaking behind and so late to the game and so embarrassingly incompetent in handling this whole situation. Um, Yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy time. Sure, you've heard that statement before because I've been hearing it ad nauseum all day, every day. It's so crazy. It's such a crazy time. We know. It's like saying the sky is blue. It's crazy. Um, because, But in light of that, I, I did want to provide space, give my two cents on certain things that I think are 
pretty important to discuss or to just note because in the grand scheme of things, this is a very significant moment in time. It is a very significant milestone for humanity. Like, I don't know when something this global has has been so widely documented. And I really, I could argue, I don't think that there is anything else because of technology. The fact that we can know literally on a second-by-second basis what is happening, um, what the data is showing, how quickly it's spreading, how much we can connect with others, strategize, argue, and then put something out there, see if it works, see if it doesn't. Like this level of communication, I think, is completely unprecedented. It's, it's, life-changing. I mean, hopefully this this means like all the technology that's available to us can help us get it together and be efficient in a way and smart in a way that we haven't before so that we can mitigate this and really alleviate all of the the fallout and minimize the fallout so we can get back to some normal state of being in a healthy manner. Or we could just honestly repeat history to a large degree because we're human beings and we're emotional and irrational and panicking and making decisions fear-based and literally just ruining everything. I don't know. My heart, my mind is banking on the former, which is that we're going to get it together. I think um, if we're going to put this in like a hero's journey format, I think we are we are a fallible hero. <laughs> we collectively being society and mankind, humankind. Um, we're stupid and we're flawed and we make a ton of mistakes, but we mean well and we have the ability to rise to the occasion. So at the end of the day, I do believe in a person and therefore larger society's ability to push through and to survive and to thrive um, because there is a lot at stake. And so if we can really properly take that in, take responsibility, um, calm the hell down and take a breath and think clearly and find balance in our minds and our hearts, I think that there is hope. It is getting desperately small in terms of the window for us to be able to effectively do something right right now, but it's there. So I'm here to instill whatever level of urgency I can because I do think that it is dire and I think we are already seeing consequences of a lot of people not taking this whole situation seriously enough, myself included, being way too chill and way too um, just selfish, honestly, selfish and lazy to not be able to forego or sacrifice or compromise our conveniences, our feelings, our entitlement to like you know, our stability and our sense of security for the sake of the greater good. You know, this is where it is a very serious, like, do or die example of how your actions impact others. I was definitely way too relaxed about um, travel at the top of this month. I was, and the end of last month, I was in Seattle, Texas, and New York, and back in L.A., within a matter of like two weeks. And I, we already knew enough at that point. And I'm not uh, an uneducated, I'm freaking educated in public health and in bio. Like I I had a, I had an inkling that this was not going to be good. And the rate at which everything was kind of just falling apart in China, I had a bad gut feeling that it was going to be bad, that it was going to continue to get worse. And still I pursued and still I went on my trips and still I exposed myself and my family and my roommate and everyone around me to 
to a disease that I frankly might have. I've honestly been feeling pretty terrible <laughs> off and on for the last couple of weeks. So I've been very attentive to that. But um, all things considering, I'm not trying to go into this rabbit hole of despair and and beating myself up. But there's a level of responsibility that I believe and I really know that I need to take because in taking responsibility in that way, it will further alter my behavior moving forward. If I let myself off the hook too much, too easily, too soon, it's just going to, like, literally the next disaster is going to happen. I was just like, well, I mean, I didn't mean to. And I didn't, I didn't know. Like, I had no idea it was going to get this bad. You know, we have all these excuses and all this justification, all this rationalizing of why XYZ happened. But sometimes you just need to get your ass kicked. And sometimes you just need to admit the L and really it's this whole radical responsibility thing you know that i've been talking about um and radical acceptance like that's this is what happened and if you try to sugarcoat it or act like it was this or that or the other it really honestly it only stunts you and it can only further damage others because you are stunted right this there's this whole symbiotic thing that we're learning right now about the individual versus the collective And there is a symbiotic nature to that. If you are not well, then the collective can't be well. Literally, if you are riddled with diseases, that is a threat. And it is, you know, something that is a liability to others and others that some you may not care about personally. So like, yeah, you're like, who gives a shit? It's fine. Let them get sick. They might be bad people. Who cares? But it also might directly people directly impact people you do care about, i.e. your parents, your family members, your friends, your colleagues, people who you would genuinely be feeling guilty or concerned or sad that you harmed in any way. Right. So it's I think there's just this whole recognition of all of this. Right. This interconnectedness, this interdependency that we we have as human beings, um, the loneliness and the isolation that people are feeling now that you have taken away this this option to go hang out with anybody and whoever, whenever you please, right? There's this forced, I think, a forced introspection that's happening and therefore, hopefully, a forced, mm, not forced, but uh, an environment in which a lot of introspection can happen and a lot of reevaluating can happen, like I was talking about in my last episode. Um I think that's all for our highest good. You know, that's why I still remain optimistic about where this is all going to take us. I do think that we're not going to be the same after this. And I think that that's for the better because I look personally back on really hard moments in my life. And by large part, I wouldn't trade that bad experience for what I learned out of that bad experience. I, I maybe it's me just rationalizing, but I believe that I went through all of those terrible moments to become a better person because it really catalyzed a lot of growth and a lot of maturity, right? So um, yeah, this is not, maybe it is me trying to make lemonade out of lemons. This is a definitely a lemon situation. Um, But in a lot of ways, you know, as bad as it is for sure, there are many ways it could also be worse. So yeah, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I'm just been kind of looking at it in the grand scheme of things. Um, and I do wonder what a lot of my friends are thinking. I want to have further conversations um, on my podcast about this because there, there's a lot to unpack. It has been, at least on my end, probably a couple weeks. I mean, LA, again, has been so late to the game. And shout out to Mayor Garcetti for doing the best he can in this like completely crazy moment. Um, but LA, California, it's only been a matter of like a couple weeks of 
during this lockdown. And, you know, we're not even having enforcement here in the States. There's no enforcement of people getting fined or getting any sort of slap on the wrist, except for like a side eye or a social, social ridicule. Um, everybody's pretty much free to still do as they please. And there are people, there are people who have been abusing that freedom and acting irresponsibly. And if that is you, including me, shame on all of us, because it is serious. Um, but I do think those couple weeks, at least for us being in this quarantine state in this alternate universe that we're now normalizing, it has taken some time to let the dust settle and for people to get acclimated to this new sense of uncertainty, wondering what the heck's going to happen with their mortgages, their student loans, their jobs, their unemployment, their everything, you know? And I don't know about you guys, but for me, it has felt absolutely surreal in terms of the sense of time. Um because of the rapid fire of how fast things are happening and what new discoveries are being put out there, the policies, the the updates, you know, the the news on what this virus is, how far it's going, who it's damaging, what perceptions that we thought even a week ago are now completely different in terms of like, oh, if you're young and healthy, you're going to be fine. 55% right now and 55% of cases in the ICU in Los Angeles are under 40 years old. So just because you're young, y'all, just FYI, doesn't mean that it's not going to suck to the extent that you will end in the ICU, okay? In the intensive care unit, I have not been in the intensive care unit before in my life, and I've been near it, and it scares the living crap out of me. It's not somewhere that you're just like, well, I'm young and healthy. Like, it's fine if I get it. If I get it, I get it. By the way, that kid in Florida who's like talking about like, if I get corona, I get corona. I'm at spring break. I'm going to live my life. I seriously want to slap him. Like, I really hope he doesn't procreate or that he goes through something really, really significant to mature him and get his mind right because that was just some stupid stuff to be saying on camera while on like just... No, no, I don't know what your name was, like Brendan. I don't know what your So, no, you just have to call that out. Um, it's not something that we, again, I'm saying this because I thought this. I was like, well, I'm young and I probably got it. And, you know, I was in New York and if I get it, I get it, you know, but I just don't want to get my grandma sick. I don't want to get my grandma sick. I don't want to get anybody sick. And also, I don't want to be sick. I have felt I'd say like ranging between 5 and 20% sick over the last couple of weeks. And um, it has sucked. Okay. I haven't even been full-blown sick. Actually, a couple of days ago was a peak. I felt like I was 50% sick for a day. And it was it was pretty, pretty freaking miserable. Okay. It's not, I, if I can do something to not feel that way for any prolonged period of time and end up in a hospital where I need to, Oh my God. So you just get me started on healthcare and health insurance. Um, I do not want to, I don't want to experience that. And I don't want anybody I know, or even the ones I don't know, I don't want any of you to go through that unnecessarily. It is so much stress on you, your body, your psyche, your emotions, and on everybody around you who cares about you. The ripple effects of how this is impacting people is way more than just like, a death. Okay. These are bigger things than just data points. These are actual human beings with family, with friends, with jobs, with communities. And the more that this starts to pile up and we're starting to see the repercussions and the actual impact and outcomes, it will take a toll on us, even the ones that are healthy. And people will feel guilty like myself. And uh, 
it's it's not fun to watch other people suffer too, even if you're not the one suffering. You know what I'm saying? So I've been processing all of these things and just kind of like holding myself accountable to the fact that I was so cavalier about it and also being really, really uh, sensitive and mindful of my own health because, you know, you guys might know this from all of my different episodes. I'm a believer that there is always something that someone can do about anything. It may not feel that way, it may feel completely hopeless and useless and, you know, unimportant. Like there's nothing you can do to impact X, Y, or Z. I call BS. I say that's absolute BS because I believe there's always something, even if it's a tiny little thing, that can alter the outcome of whatever it is that we're talking about. Um, I've dealt with depression. I've dealt with abuse. I've dealt with shady people, people who hurt me, betrayed me, um, my own self, you know, hurting myself. Like it's there's a lot of things that we deal with on on the regular, even outside of a global pandemic. And, you know, having gone through many of those different situations and having been there for other people that I care about in my life in their moments of darkness, there's always something that can be done. So if there's anything that I can put out into the universe to remind myself and the collective that there are things that we can always do, um, especially when it's motivated by love and by care and by hope for humanity, hell yeah, let me reinforce that. Let me put gasoline on that fire because that is what we definitely need right now. And uh, yeah, this, there's one topic that I kind of wanted to put my two cents in on because for the large part, I've stayed pretty quiet. Um, even on social media, because I've been kind of abstaining from reading too much about it in order to preserve my own mental health. Um, so what I can say is for the last two weeks, I've been really been focusing on the practical elements of my life, which means I've been focusing on sustaining myself, paying my bills, being really worried because I'm a homeowner, being worried about my parents because they are small business owners in the Bay Area. That's been on complete lockdown. Um, and their customer base, their dry cleaners has dropped so drastically. So worried about their income, their their physical health, their emotional, mental health in light of all the stress that's happening. Um the fact that they are considered an essential business, so they're allowed to be open during this lockdown period. And so wondering on a data level, like how much their exposure is to other people coming in and out of their store and interacting with them, even taking payments from them, like literally sit there and think about how they're like handling people's credit cards or whatnot and like trying to talk to them and seeing like if there's a way to just reduce or completely stop all contact with other human beings. And how to maintain that. So, I mean, that's just my parents, right? And then I think about my brothers and then my brother's wife and like my cousins and my friends and my community, like how everyone's doing just on a very fundamental, are you okay to pay rent and eat for the next while? Like that basis. So that's been occupying a lot of my time. I'm still hustling. I'm still doing a lot of voiceover auditioning. I had to up it like 30 fold. It's highly competitive right now. It's been really not... I guess tougher in a way because everyone and their mom basically wants to become a voice actor now. Um, but that's fine. I just basically kept a positive attitude and said, well, I have two years of doing this professionally on that. So it's really just about me churning out numbers. So I have been upping my audition game a lot and just doing whatever I can humanly possible to keep some sort of financial stability in my life, figuring out like taxes, all that stuff. It's been a little bit crazy. And then in the meantime, also figuring out how to like keep a regular schedule, feed myself, still exercise. Um, and I'm still working on my startup. So 
that's just on a very personal level and checking in with friends, obviously, seeing if they're all doing okay because everybody feels so emotionally amok. Then to add to that layer, this other big topic that's just been looming in the background and the foreground of my life every time I log into Facebook or or, um, I'm on Instagram uh, is just the issue of the racism against Asian Americans, Asian people around the world. And um, because the reason why I was like just rattling off everything that I'm personally dealing with, which I know is compared to a lot of other people, a fraction of worries and concerns in other people's lives, but I don't have children. I don't have spouse, you know, like I'm really just looking out for me and also figuring out my living situation. Sidebar, Kelly, if you're listening to this, Chris and I miss you. We love you. She's stuck in Scotland right now. So we're also trying to figure out how um, we're all going to live next month. That'll be an interesting moment. Um, Just dealing with all of these things, um, adding this element of the racism against Asian people, which I... I, in my bones, knew was coming before the first hate crime was even announced. There's a dread in me having worked with and for and amongst Asian Americans for the last decade plus um, and really understanding this diversity and inclusion conversation within the Asian American community and way past the Asian American community because diversity and inclusion is talking about all marginalized and underrepresented communities. Um It's educated me to a point where I am not stupid or naive or ignorant to the fact that there are terrible people out there. And as soon as, not even as soon as, I just, we walked into this knowing that this disease, that this virus originated in China. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is going to be bad. And I didn't want to think that. I didn't want to expect nastiness to start proliferating all over the freaking world. But it did. And I was not surprised about that. And because of that, I was really, really hesitant to get on social media and engage and open up too many articles. I honestly avoided it for at least the first week. I really, unless somebody had a straight up anecdotal story in their status proper where I could read it, I did not click on things. I did not watch videos because I have been dealing with this, this, um, this particular niche area of racism like as part of my full-time job slash identity slash existence as, you know, a leader in the Asian American space. And it was too much, to to be honest. It was too much for me. I I I think I ingest, like I take in Asian American issues through a different lens because I've been so deeply ingrained in it. And so my reactions are different than like, I don't know how to say it. The, you know, the standard Asian American civilian who doesn't talk about it all the time, who isn't reading up on it and having discussions about it with Hollywood or with, you know, community activists or with artists and playwrights and singers and songwriters and actors and producers and writers and directors and executives and people who are really, really making it their their personal mission and their collective mission to change the status quo and talking about all the problems and identifying the history and and constructing this very important narrative that a lot of people out there don't know. Having been in that space for a really long time and heard about all these different issues from every single aspect for so long, I knew my reaction was not going to be the same as somebody else's. Therefore, I did. I was hesitant to react and respond 
because I didn't know if my response would be something that would be digestible or acceptable to the regular Asian American. Because what I was seeing was the, and I'm just being completely honest, because this is the part that I was struggling to even articulate from the get-go. When people were complaining about um, all of the different levels of hate that were happening out there, I mean, my, (laughs) if you didn't know, like, an easy reaction for me is just get pissed off. Like, I was super, I get, uh, it's a very triggering thing for me. It's one of the things that I, I, feel most protective of is my own community and because it's an extension of me right and if it's not them it's me it's basically me because if I were them I'm Asian and if I were walking in that market or in that street and I was verbally attacked or assaulted or something like holy shit it just it feels so personal right so my my instantaneous reaction is to get is to get mad And because I've been dealing with all kinds of colorful emotions in the last several months, including a lot of anger, I didn't, I wanted to protect myself and, and keep that triggering stuff away from me. Um, but of course, yeah, as soon as I saw it, my instantaneous reaction is to get pissed and to be angry. Um, but, but my, not, but, and my approach to, even though my emotional reaction is pretty predictable and default my conscious mind and my um i guess like the intellectual part of my brain processes it processes that anger a little bit quicker now and does a little bit more self regulation because i'll get pissed and then i want to take a step back or 10 and like really try to understand it the reason being, and I'm still trying to unpack this, so forgive me if I'm saying things that don't fully make sense because I'm I'm processing as I talk about it. Racism, there's just so many versions of it. And I've been on the receiving end of different forms of racism. But by and large, I mean, collectively, cumulatively, it has taken a very deep emotional toll on me. Like, I, it feeds a lot of this feeling of being disrespected, under or unappreciated, um, condescended to, laughed at, um, disregarded. Those are the feelings, I think. Those, those acts of, or, yeah, acts of racism impart on me. It makes me feel little, like I'm beneath people. And I don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling from my parents. I do not like it from strangers. I don't like it from Hollywood. I just don't like that feeling, right? That's the feeling that I think is the primary emotion that then leads to anger. And it's taken me a long time to identify that because I spent a lot of time being angry, but less but more important time really trying to understand why. That racism that I've... so, And then when I look at facts, right, when I remove emotions from it and I look at the actual behaviors, if I were trying to break down, well, what actually happened for me to feel so disrespected, disregarded, un- unappreciated, attacked, belittled, condescended? If the data, if we looked at data and facts, right, I would say the vast majority of the things that happened to me to, to ignite all these feelings were pure ignorance. They weren't malicious, the reality. I don't think... Um, just from the time that I moved around and the different kinds of jokes or conversations, I think vast majority were not from a hateful place. They were, they were 
they were ignorant and they were in some ways just like well-meaning, like how people make stupid, stupid jokes when you're immature and young and don't know better. Like you just make stupid jokes trying to connect with somebody. Like it's a very misguided way of trying to make someone feel special, quote unquote, by like pointing out how different or weird they are. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm an actor, right? So I'm always like deconstructing human behavior. I, I can say with pretty strong certainty that I don't think a majority of them were were meant to be hateful. There were other moments like when I got whistled the Oriental Riff in an elevator. If anybody doesn't know what the Oriental Riff is, it's um, some stupid ass white dude in New Orleans. See, I don't know if he was a tourist or somebody from Louisiana, but he uh, whistled that at me in an elevator and like literally I didn't even register what's happening and as he was getting out he like turned to me and smiled like laughingly like he was mocking me and I wanted to rip open the elevator doors and punch him in his nuts but I did not have that opportunity or the guts to do that but that that was a moment and that's seared in my memory I'll never forget it and I felt belittled and condescended to and disrespected and furious so in processing my own experiences with racism and and in this age of like radical responsibility and radical acceptance and and an effort to not let my own emotions dictate every single thing that I think I am and I become uh wanting to basically be above those things and be able to accept certain things and to be real about certain things I wanted to basically Give credit where credit's due, if that makes any sense. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to become hateful because of things that were not hateful to me. They did hurt me and I was going to accept that and I was going to figure out what my response to that was. But I didn't want that hate, which I believe has become that anger and that hate to become the poison that then that then fed this awful part of me. That's something that I personally really struggled with. So that's what I, I think because I've been in that space before any of this happened of how how racism is how racism is labeled, how it's experienced, how freely we like label things racist. Cause I don't know. Like I'm still I don't know. I don't like racist to me evokes a very hateful and malicious intent right? Um, they're stupid comments. And I guess you could see equally say, yeah, that, that's a racist comment. Um, maybe bigoted. I don't know. I'm trying to like figure out what the vocabulary is. This is why I want to have more conversations with other people because I don't, I don't know what the right terminology is. And I think that it's worth dissecting. You know what I mean? Um, like, for example, the word liar, right? Calling someone a liar they might be like Donald Trump's a fucking liar. Um, to me, lying implies that the person who is saying the falsehood knows that it's false. When they say things that they don't know are true, that to me doesn't. There's they might be stupid and ignorant and dumb, um, and and a gossip or like a lot of other things. I don't know if you could label them a liar, even though the things that are coming out of their mouth are not true. Does that make sense? Like there's a lot of implications. Words have power, right? Um, so I'm trying to dissect that. And my, my relationship with the word racist, like calling someone racist has been, it's been a struggle for me. And in some ways I feel like I've 
been too forgiving to people. Like I do look back on others who said things that I thought were really problematic. But because I I had some level of like friendliness with them, I didn't want to label them a racist. I'm just like, oh, they're a really ignorant person. They're very like uneducated. They're very simple. They're very simple minded. They don't know. But I didn't I didn't necessarily default to like, oh, they're racist. Because to me, the way I experienced it, the way that I interpreted it was they were not being malicious about it. They they didn't know that the things they were saying were toxic or problematic or hurtful in any way, right? If they knew that and they said that, then absolutely be like, that's some racist shit right there. Like, that's terrible. That is absolutely terrible. I think Donald Trump is a racist. I think a lot of people around him are racist. I think they know, they have a sense of what damage and uh, how problematic and how divisive and how bigoted it is. And they believe it truly to their core. Um, So anyway, that's just like the context. So why I didn't want to just respond to everything, I, I, I felt a level of responsibility. Like I could be contributing to an echo chamber of just like disbelief and hatred and anger and like, what the hell is this? Um, but as much as it was hurting me to see that these things were happening, I couldn't bring myself to to speak about it so like so immediately, so instantaneously, because to me, it's a very, very layered issue. Um, and I guess also the truth of it was I know hella racist Asians. So again, this, I sound like such a dick. This, this is my podcast. I get to say my side of the story clearly um no there was part of me that that really I'll get to that in a second regardless though I need to say at this point now that I've like already started processing so many feelings what is happening to people is disgusting it is heartbreaking it's unacceptable it's deplorable it is not okay these are hate crimes and they need to freaking stop Okay, I'm so sorry it took me this long to get to this point. But what is happening to Asian Asian Americans and Asians around the world that are being called out and attacked for the fact that they are Asian and being somehow scapegoated that they are the reason why coronavirus is a thing right now is it's just so heartbreaking and infuriating. People, innocent people don't deserve to be treated that way. I understand that people are scared and they're upset because this is a very very terrible thing that's happening and i do not praise how handle how handle how china handled this whole outbreak i don't think that that was a good thing to try to cover it up and you know the way that it all played out was not good but this is also a disease that could have happened freaking anywhere and if you think that america or any other country is like somehow not also participating in problematic animal practices or eating quote-unquote strange things like things that we think are strange in a foreign land are completely normal to them and strange as hell you know to us and that things that we think and do and eat and whatever that are completely bizarre to someone else it's all relative man there's nobody that's like superior to anybody else it could have happened just as easily anywhere it did happen in china and it was not handled in the best way but it also does not help to start attacking random people in the street and 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 blaming them for for this whole thing to happen. There are so many different ways that this has played out. 
it's just insane. It's insane and it's hurtful and it's problematic and it's inhumane. So on that level, I just need to put that out there. I think it's so sad and there there's a lot that needs to be addressed. These are hate crimes that are happening all around the world um, that are being reported right now uh, increasingly every day because more and more incidents are happening. So there are examples of my friends even getting cursed at in the street randomly by neighbors or in the supermarket um, that are are being told, you know, you're the fucking reason that this is happening. You're fucking, you know, chink or what, like saying just terrible, 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 hurtful things to their faces from strangers when they're just trying to get supplies like the next person or just literally go inside their home even. Um, there's a stabbing that happened to a parent and a child in Texas. Um, there are signs being put up, probably outside a church. I wouldn't be surprised. Like there's signs being put up that people are sharing across America that are, that are you know, crapping all over Chinese people. And if you guys didn't know, if you're not Asian American, there's a lot of people who don't care if you're actually Chinese or not. Everybody who's Asian or even passively Asian looking is Chinese to a lot of people. They're not going to care if you're Laotian or Japanese or whatever. You're Chinese to a lot of people. Um, There's tons of people getting attacked. The elderly, there's homeless people who are getting spit on and cursed at. This is happening not just in the South or in middle America where, you know, there might be a lot of people on the coast who are thinking like, oh, it's these uneducated XYZ kinds of people in Trump land. No, it's happening in the freaking Bay Area. It's happening in LA, in Orange County, in freaking New York. These are happening everywhere in very diverse spots where we are very used to being around all sorts of different kinds of people. There's there's no barrier right now to this. And it's happening by the hundreds. And there's a different spectrum, right? Like there's a spectrum of physical assault, like this guy getting stabbed and in front of his child and his child getting attacked to just like being side-eyed and being walked away from. Friends of mine told me yesterday, a friend of mine was at the supermarket doing her grocery shopping and nobody would stand by her in line. Granted, the byproduct was that she got to get to the checkout stand faster, but no one would even get in line with her. And she, she's just trying to live her life and figure out how to, how to survive just like the rest of us. And it's just another added layer of, of stress of being completely, I don't know, having this like repellent around that everybody's scared of you and they're looking down at you or they're blaming you through their energy and their bad vibes. And like, again, even if somebody's not physically assaulted feeling like having those eyes on you and having people condemning you in their mind, you can feel that. Okay. If anybody has a brain and a heart, you've gone into rooms where it's mad awkward. And if people are hating on you with just their eyes and not even a word, you can feel that. Okay. So there's all sorts of fear and bad energy that's just that's just going crazy. I mean, that was already the case in the situation with people who don't understand basic science. Um, that was already an issue to begin with about the misinformation that's being spread out there about how it spreads, how quickly, what you can do. To some degree, I'm like, if you're going to drink bleach, like maybe that's just Darwinism at play and you just need to go. I don't know. That's really sad. I don't wish that on anyone. But if that's like the extent to which you're going to impose that kind of harm on yourself because you don't you're listening to someone who's telling you to drink bleach to not have coronavirus 
I don't know, man. I don't know what to say to that. Um, it's just very sad. But there's already this, like, you know, people are already talking about it, that fear is the virus. Fear is this bigger thing. Fear is the thing that's making us run for the toilet paper and fight with people in the markets over. I mean, it's just insane. And the fact of the matter is, is that we are all in this together. Again, that's not even a choice. Like we all have to live amongst each other forever. You can try to be as isolated and as much of an island and Postmate and Amazon Prime everything to you so that you don't have to interact with a single human being. But chances are you're going to have to interact with somebody. You still are a member of society. And because of that fact that we're in this together, there is a level of responsibility and benefit that we get by being there for each other. And the fact that we're that this fear is driving such a level of irrational, um, hateful behavior, it's it's such a shame because I do maybe despite my own, <laughs> I know a lot of great people, but you know, I still believe in people. I still believe in people's capacity to love and uh, be good to one another, to be kind, to be courteous, to have respect. Um, and my general consensus, like, if you're that hateful, like, there's something really wrong inside of you. And I say that from not, like, a judgy place. I'm saying that from, like, that's basically what I've recognized in myself. Like, all the ways that I've hurt other people when I have spewed venom or been toxic unintentionally or even knowingly, it started with me. It started with something really rotten and rancid in, inside of me. So, um, yeah, whatever, if it's condemning them, those those people are not happy, good people. There's something really rotten inside of them. But the good part of me, the raised Christian part of me, wants to believe that there's something redeeming still inside of them and that they're not beyond saving, I guess, if that's the word, or beyond redemption. Um but still, that behavior needs to stop, regardless of that, regardless of the sanctity of their soul as an individual, as a unique human being. Fine. Yes, that takes a lot out of me to be like, yes, you're still a human and you still deserve love and all these things. But like your behavior is complete shit right now. That's just also the responsible adult of me to call the BS where it is and say that is not acceptable. That is extremely hurtful. And the degree to which you are hurting somebody, that's not for you to even predict. You can't control that. So obviously, if you physically assault somebody, you're harming them. But the emotional mental trauma that you're imparting on that individual, their family, their child, and what that is doing, again, to the collective, you think that these things happen in a vacuum and that the news doesn't catch it up or that we're not sharing it amongst ourselves? I am part of a Facebook group where people are sharing on the daily crimes against Asians right now. People are reporting this because we're trying to look out for each other. You know why? Because people are scared to go to public places right now. They're scared to get groceries. They're scared to even pick up food. They're scared of their neighbors. It is a really, really, really sad and, and terrible place to be where a place where you thought you were accepted and safe and normal, just like the way that you accept and treat others with respect, suddenly you are villainized and you are suddenly victimized in a way that like you don't deserve. You did absolutely nothing except be who you are and what you are is suddenly a threat to your safety. That is a, is, is a terrible way to go on living. And we are certainly not the first minority or marginalized group to feel that. It is just simply our turn right now. So 
It just needs to be said. It's disgusting and it's terrible. And so I want to call that out because there was part of me that in processing this issue and trying to and try to like intellectually rationalize all of it and understand it before speaking, um, there was part of me that was like grappling with that. But I'm recognizing it even in myself and maybe because I've been quarantining myself because I've been feeling yucky, um, not engaging as much on social media and not going out and about and interacting with the rest of humanity. Uh, I I guess it just didn't directly impact me as much. And I kind of kept it that way because I didn't want to be triggered and I wasn't reading up on it as much as I could have. Um, but the stories keep mounting and I know that it's been happening. And when I finally did, you know, open my eyes and take a look at what was going on, um, I mean, it was what I expected and also worse. And it's even worse to just check in on friends and see how they're doing and to hear more and more stories and experiences from them. Even like my brother who works for, he works as an attorney for an important office for important people. And he's been wearing a mask just to be safe and to be respectful. And he's not even, he didn't go to my cousin's wedding because he didn't want to travel so that he could keep his office safe. Um, which at the time I thought he was being a little bit extra, but now I'm just like, good for you. Like, that's a huge step that you took in order to be cautious. And I respect that. Um, but even like him getting approached, like getting weird looks for doing something that he's doing for the benefit of others. He's not even sick, but just in the very small case that he somehow gets it from somebody else that he doesn't want to pass it on to his colleagues, um, that now people are looking at him as a threat, you know, or like approaching him in a, in a weird way. And he's already doing his best job being a freaking attorney trying to defend the rights of people on the day. Like, why? It's just so unnecessary. At the end of the day, I think the people that are going to to deal with this are going to become that much more resilient and stronger and smarter in dealing with this. I think that is already what's happening. And I do want to reflect on that in a little bit, but um, it's a lot to deal with. Okay. So I, I think because I was removing myself from understanding the scope of what was happening, I was kind of minimized and minimizing the gravity of it, the impact of it. But I'm speaking on it now, and I hope that it's not too late. And I, I don't think that it's too late because I still think this is going to be an ongoing situation. And so in light of that, um, I don't know. I know that a lot of the listeners to this podcast are Asian American, not exclusively. But I'm just trying to let y'all know what was going through my mind because— and what's still going through my mind, because it's not as simple as, this is bad, must speak out, must condemn, must, like, whatever— Um. I don't know. I feel like I feel some level of pressure, not even from external parties for myself to to be honest and clear and articulate so that I'm not stoking an unnecessary fire. So I, I'm going to be very clear that all of this behavior, all these things, these crimes against uh, against against Asians are terrible and they're frightening. They are worrisome and they take a toll that goes far beyond any like physical scar just because people aren't getting you know lit on fire um, i now immediately regret even saying that um just because they're not getting those things doesn't mean that it doesn't create division and create trauma and create uh hate and bitterness and resentment and disconnection at the very time when it is the least 
It is the most unhelpful time for those things to exist. It is the time where we need people to care about each other, to look out for each other. There are people that are walking up to Asian people and straight up coughing in their face. The amount of disrespect, like not even just like the physical exposure of what you're doing, that is disgusting, first of all. But the the level of disrespect and and belittling of that kind of behavior is mind-boggling. It's just disgusting. Imagine somebody coming up to you and straight up just coughing or spitting on your face. It is disgusting. And to walk away from that, you don't walk away just being able to shrug it off. Mind you, you might be able to like keep your cool and not create like some sort of physical altercation at that point, which good on you. Don't make a bad situation worse. But that person is not going to walk away feeling safe, feeling respected, feeling like they give, you know, one bit of a shit about this country, about their fellow American or their neighbor or anything. It is only going to create, not only, but it is highly likely it's going to create resentment, bitterness, further hate, further defensiveness. And so that is something very real. That is a very real consequence to what is happening, these hate crimes. So I want people to take that seriously. I want people to understand that it's happening. And then in light of that, also, the other part that I want to reflect on, because I am part of like this entertainment and media industry, is I don't want it to get hyperinflated, okay? This is the part that like was really more of my concern in light of all of this. Yes, I have been pissed off. I've been infuriated and saddened and discouraged, like seeing all these disgusting and horrible things. I also don't want everybody who is Asian American or Asian wherever, like in the world to expect this to happen to them. I don't want the fact that it is happening for for it to be expected to happen. Partially because I'm a very big believer in like the law of attraction. Whatever you are fearing and thinking and believing, a lot of that is what happens. Case in point, I've grown up with a lot of Korean men, okay? I'm Korean American and I've grown up in a lot of Asian like my family, my churches, like growing up with a lot of Korean men. We have a lot of generational trauma that we have inherited through our DNA, through our fathers, through our cultures, like a lot of, we have a lot of baggage, okay? I have experienced a lot of Korean American men, a lot of Asian American men, but a lot of Korean American men who are basically, they're itching for a fight. There's and it's not from like some randomness. I, I can go on for many days and I, I've already kind of untapped that with past episodes on like toxic masculinity and being an Asian male in America and things like that. They are real reasons, but they have a lot of anger that it's just like bubbling right there underneath the surface. So a lot of the Korean American men that I know, like there's just this air and sense about them that they're ready to fight anybody who looks at them wrong. It's a lot in our films. It's a lot in like our music even. Like it's just the way that I grew up. And I have grown up being very, very sensitive to that. And it's exhausting because I feel like I always had to kind of protect even like my dad that he was always kind of on a hair trigger. And if somebody disrespected him and I just didn't want to deal with my dad getting arrested, it never got that bad. But it was just like an intuitive fear that I had as his daughter, as a Korean woman, like whatever you want to you know, as a divine feminine, um, I had this intuition and this feeling, this gut instinct that if things go wrong, if someone looks at them the wrong way, if they don't let them, I don't know, have their proper place in line or they cut them off on the road, like the road rage, like it would get bad and it would get bad quick. So here's the other thing. It's like whenever that is living inside of you, when you have that anger and these are the these are the kind of the collateral damage that's happening collectively in Asian America, we're there's so much 
proliferation of of clickbait. And it's a double-edged sword because we need to know that it's happening. We need to understand like what the numbers are and the data points um, and know the reality of it. But we also have a tendency because we're emotional creatures to hyperinflate it, right? We it, It's something that triggers a very emotional response. So that's going to be something that just takes you there. And I know that part of me, <laughs> whether it's happy, sad, mad, whatever, like you go from zero to 60 really fast. And that's where like the monkey brain and the thinking brain are very different. If you haven't been reading um, Everything is Fucked, it's a great book. It's written by Mark Manson. Um, but it talks a lot about our emotional brain, our feeling brain and our thinking brain. And our feeling brain, man, once that is behind the wheel, which it usually is, there's little that you can do to control that. So what I want to like point out is that I've witnessed a lot of bad things happen with the Korean men in my life who have a lot of their own issues and they have layers and layers and layers of like trauma and uh, self-identity issues and things like that. And just maybe some bad parenting, um, bad cultural dynamics and toxic femininity that feeds into it. I don't know. There's a lot. But I've seen a lot of fights break out. I've seen a lot of examples of things going really, really wrong because they're basically ready to fight somebody. And I felt like in their energy, at the very least, they were waiting for someone to piss them off and they're ready to like go at it. Having witnessed that and having even been in a like I've been in tussles like uh, (laughs) PK, if you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody from my days at Berkeley, my senior year at Cal um, I was co-president of the Korean American Student Association. We had our culture night. That's the night I met PK. He came and did a set. Um, it was great. We all went out to an after party after our culture night. And our usual spot, which is in Berkeley on Telegraph, was closed for the night for some reason. So we went to downtown Oakland to be patrons at a different bar situation. Um, that's not where the usual Korean Americans from UC Berkeley would kick it. They had another bar, Tansongsa, that they used to hang out at. Um, but for some reason, that was either crowded or booked or something. So we went to this other spot and we ran into another group of Asian Americans. Half of them, I think, were Korean American. Some of them were like Vietnamese American. And everybody had drinks because that was the whole purpose of that night, right? And I had such issues with that. But anyway, um, everything was good. People were having a good time. And then literally two guys looked at each other wrong in line for the bathroom and a freaking brawl broke out. Okay, a brawl from a a beautiful night celebrating comedy and music and culture and just like being who we are turned into a police case. Like the police showed up like I I was a little bit drunk, but I still remember it because it was kind of traumatizing. Like I got trampled because I was trying to get my friend out. Um, One of my friends was one of the main drunk people getting into the situation. And so I was doing my best to pull him out of it because he was the one that was being so problematic. And in light of that, I'm a tiny girl. So this is just where the irrational feeling brain, like I was just feeling protective of my friend. I ran in, tried to grab him. And in the interim got completely trampled by a bunch of dudes. They didn't care that I was there. They were just pissed off and trying to fight each other. So I'm 5'1". I'm not a very large person. I could have been pretty seriously hurt, um, but I wasn't. I, I mean, I got trampled, but I basically felt kind of bruised the next day, but that was the extent of it. Another friend of mine got slashed in the face with a soju bottle that was broken, and he had to stitch up his entire front of his face. So later that year, uh, at the other bar that we were supposed to go to, Another group of like Korean American guys got in a fight and one of them died because he got hit in the head and he got punched and thrown to the ground and his head hit a curb, the curb, and he died from 
from his brain bleeding out uh, from brain damage. So I've been around this, okay? Like, I'm not trying to paint myself as like, whatever. I went to school in Berkeley slash Oakland. I spent a lot of time there. I know that my story is kind of like sadly a dime a dozen. And it's really upsetting because that's a reality of Asian America too, that there's a lot of people that have dealt with so much trauma and that have dealt with so many people uh, othering them, right? So this is like, again, nothing happens in a vacuum. Nothing is happening in isolation. And there's so much more to Asian American history of us being marginalized for real, the Chinese Exclusion Act, the Japanese internment camps, how people have been villainized like completely unfairly and completely irrationally, and why psychopaths like Trump saying Chinese virus, deciding as a leader to label something as the Chinese virus is so much more problematic and dangerous than that fool cares to realize. His political and economic agenda is so irresponsible to the lives of the people that he is supposed to be leading. He is not a leader, in my opinion, but he technically has that title. But I need I just need to like put that out there because I'm continuing to learn about the nuances of all of this. Even somebody that has been so heavily invested in Asian American uh, culture and our narrative and our representation, I am constantly learning about the layers in which we are existing, right? Like let this, I hopefully if I'm opening any eyes to anybody or any ears or brains to anyone out there, there's a lot that I feel like I just started learning about my own identity and our collective identities since after college, to be honest. And this is someone that was like heavily involved in leadership in an Asian American cultural club. Like we did tutoring and we did parties and like that was essentially it. We did fan dances and stuff. But I don't feel like that political, that geopolitical narrative was strong at that time when I was in college. And it just wasn't something that we dived into. And it's something that has matured so much, I think, the last five years, maybe 10. Um, But there's a minority of people that have been really making it their agenda and their mission to understand and to educate others on. And I really like there's part of me that just wishes I could go on an Asian American studies class because it's something that I never experienced in college. And a lot of the people I've met through collaboration, they have taken those classes. Some of them have majored in it. And it's mind blowing to me because at the time I was in college, it really was just like STEM, STEM or bust. Like you go be a doctor, lawyer or business school and that's it. Um, But now that this narrative, this conversation has expanded so much, it's important that we talk about it. It's important that we we understand how these emotions and how this bigotry and how these these problematic uh, attitudes and biases and prejudice can translate into something very, very ripple effect and institutionalized through policy. Okay, there are laws. There are literally laws that existed to to keep Asians out and to villainize them and to make them the enemy. Okay, and I don't think that we're at that point because I think that right now the majority of Americans would be on the side of protecting Asian Americans. I think that we have far more allies than we do like predators or, you know, assaulters. And that's the part that I want to bring to light. And that's the part that I want to protect. I don't want the narrative because we're like really sinking in all these data points and all these different crimes of varying levels of intensity. A, it needs to be understood like what impact that actually has. But B, I do not want myself and my my fellow Asian Americans and Asians around the world to walk around asking for a fight in any way. This is me wanting to protect all of you. Um, 
because I've dealt with those fights. I've dealt with people feeling scared and afraid and insecure and kind of putting out this negative energy and expecting somebody to come step at them. Like they're, they're literally, again, subconsciously looking for a fight. And I don't want that to be the case. I don't want that energy to be in you and like, and like being exuded from you to invite any of that into your life. So at the end of the day, it is not fair what's happening to Asian Americans. And it's not our fault. But I also think there's a lot of responsibility that ends up on Asian Americans too to figure out how to handle, how we're going to respond to this. So in light of that, um, I do really want people to report these crimes. It is incredibly important that we take them seriously and that we don't just let them disappear into the ether. We can't just have people hurt us and then not report it and not document it and not give gravity to it. Um, The FBI... There are so many community organizations that are all inviting people to report these incidents because the more that we can back this up with evidence, with data points, we can show the the intensity and the impact of this of this problem. It is a problem um, and that needs to be reported. So in light of this, we also so it's report a I'm asking all of you guys to please do this. Please talk about it. Um and that's where we're going to have to have honest conversations. Like, hopefully what I'm saying now, I don't know how judged I'm going to be for, like, trying to paint this picture that we're inviting. Again, if that's how you're interpreting it, I can't control that. But I'm doing my very best to say, energetically, I don't want I don't want anybody to go out looking for a fight. Um, because not everybody is out there to attack you. There's a lot of people who mean you no harm. And I don't want you to create... You know, when everything's a hammer, when every, what's the analogy? When you're a hammer, everything becomes a nail. Like, let's not do that. You don't have to make everything a problem when it's not a problem. You know what I'm saying? Not everything's a problem. So don't create one. Whether is it? Um, because we're feeling a lot and that's our feelings. It's valid that it's all kind of like right there at the surface. I get it. It's, we're highly sensitive. And in light of that, I think it's more important to be the level headed, prudent one that doesn't create something worse. And if there are attacks and there are these injustices that they get reported um, and to really protect yourself and your community that they're reported to the right people. I know that there's there's already been a distrust of police and there have been conversations about how police are not taking this seriously enough or that said incident doesn't warrant any action in terms of police, police stepping in. Um, But regardless, like, I do hope that you will advocate for yourself and figure out a way for that to get documented because there are organizations, I believe, even like San Francisco State, SF State has uh, a cultural organization that there there are email addresses that are being set up and forms that are being set up. You literally just Google it and see if there's something in your community where you can report it, whether it's high up to the FBI or someone like more grassroots. Like I know that 18 Million Rising, they just hosted a webinar to educate myself and I think almost 2,000 people who tuned in on how to have conversations and how to address this whole issue. Um, I'm sure that they're a great resource going to their website and seeing where where you can be linked up to the proper authorities or the proper advocacy groups that can really do something on your behalf. Like go do that. Don't just sit there and let it fester and become a point of like complete bitterness and resentment And like, you know, start being literally you're being the hate that you see. I don't want that to happen. I know what that feels like. I've lived a good portion of my life 
hating lots of different kinds of people because they wronged me in XYZ way. And at the end of the day, it's I don't think any of us want to be those people. I don't think we want to pass it on to our children or to our nieces and nephews. Like that's not what we want to be or teach. So if you wouldn't want to replicate it in anybody else that you care about, then just find find a way to resolve it within yourself and with that person. And uh, obviously, like, don't, do not put yourself in danger, but find a way to resolve it so that it doesn't yield a result that's going to make life worse for you. Like, I really want to look out for the people who are getting hurt. If you need to call a support line, which th- those exist as well. There are support systems out there for people who are experiencing hate crimes. Please reach out. This is coming from the girl who is like rejecting therapy after I've been through so many different types of trauma in my life and recognizing in her 30s, like, wow, I kind of could have addressed that a lot sooner if I just asked for help. Um, don't let that, don't let those cultural <laughs> elements of our, you know, just suck it up and deal with it. Find a way to process it. Please, like find a way to process it. And also the other thing that I really, really want to highlight that I thought was going to be misinterpreted or received poorly was my general, (laughs) sadly, my general reaction when I was thinking of uh, like racist things against Asians was uh, as passionate and compassionate of a person as I can be, I felt a small part of me feel like, oh God, people are crying when they don't experience like as much racism as other people do. And saying that out loud is very embarrassing, but that's honestly what I felt. There's part of me that has some resentment towards my fellow Asian Americans, that there is a lot of privilege that we live, a lot of East Asians, I think, in the grand scheme of things, like in terms of marginalized communities, how under the radar and how um, I guess relatively easy Asian Americans have had it compared to the LGBTQ community, the Black community, the Latino Latinx community. Like, I don't know. I just, just I might get so much crap for this, but just not experiencing the same level of hate. And I know that terrible things have happened. I'm really not taking anything away from, again, what I mentioned, the Chinese Exclusion Act, the slavery, the the Japanese internment camps. Like, I I didn't go through those. And that's not even like my ethnicity. But I know that Asian people have been brutally, terribly mistreated. But when I compare, right, which comparison is not the wisest thing, um, in general, I've seen a lot of prosperity, a lot of privilege, a lot of—and even like these— problematic benefits of like the model minority myth, which that in of itself is very problematic and that also needs to be unpacked. Um, I don't know. My heart just says I haven't felt like that level of compassion from the Asian community for like my black brothers and sisters. Like I have felt it. I grew up on black culture. I felt like I wanted to be part of black culture. I felt because of the music, the films and everything, I had a deeper understanding of their plight more than the Asian American plight, to be honest. And when push came to shove and there was things like Black Lives Matter and, you know, children getting shot in the streets, I didn't see many Asian American people, you know, rallying and being like, oh, this is so, this is so terrible. Like we need to do something. We need to advocate for them. We need to protect these, these kids. We need to do uh, X, Y, Z and stand up for justice. Like 
I don't know. I just felt like there's been a lot of quiet. And this is where I need to check myself. I do think that there's so many people, especially of my generation, like I I give credit a lot to like my friends and the millennial generation and younger, incredibly woke, incredibly uh, standing in solidarity and it's there. But I think I'm basing this off of like the older generation that has stayed largely silent and complicit in a lot of things. And there's been a lot of tension to, again, there's further conversations to be had even about the the LA riots and all of that. I mean, there's so much that I am still learning. So please forgive me. But that's just my general, like that was part of my response um, but I realize that it doesn't take away from the the terrible nature of what's happening right now in 2020 to these innocent people. Nothing excuses that behavior. Nothing minimizes how bad it is. It is terrible. It needs to stop. So it's just these are things that I've been processing. And I do hope, you know, I already know there's so many amazing members of my community that are smart and who advocate for everybody, for black, white, brown, you know, whoever, people, they're, they're, I'm around some of the most open eyes and open minds and open hearts that truly inspire me, that amaze me with their level of empathy and compassion. And then on the flip side, I, I think there's a growing number of people who are being acquainted with these issues that have not dealt with it, really. You know, there's even, sadly, even like the Bay Area where I grew up, I feel like Asian Americans, they're experienced a very cushy, cushy, well, cushy, cushy, a cushy life in terms of like being accepted because diversity was more prominent, more prevalent there not knowing what it's like to feel othered so harshly. And I actually know from like the friends that I've met that have grown up in the Midwest or have been like the singular token minority wherever they were, they have felt more strongly about representation and understanding the importance of solidarity and standing up for each other. And there's kind of like this diluted feeling or maybe even like absence of that solidarity or that feeling that you need to advocate, you need to fight to be seen and heard from really diverse areas. It's kind of oxymoronic you would think that people in more diverse more woke areas would understand that better but I actually feel like some of my friends who grew up really really isolated and alone um and singled out and othered and bullied and whatever um have a have a deeper understanding of that so we're all at different stages um and I understand that and I want to have compassion for that um I it's not right to expect everybody to be like oh why don't you get this Like, why don't you understand? Why are you not more angry? Everyone has a different experience and they all have different perspectives. Maybe they really don't know the severity of like what's actually happening because they're caught up in their own lives. Maybe they're living in like a very dire circumstance and have not been on social media. Maybe, you know, I don't know. There's just like a gazillion and a half different ways that we all exist on this earth. It's unfair to expect everybody to know everything about everything. And, um, in that, in light of that, I think it then requires us to be that much more consciously compassionate and to not be so condemning of people who have a different perspective. And if there is something that you have insight to that could be helpful, to have patience and to have reasoning and compassion in conveying that. Because nobody can listen when they're getting yelled at, right? Which is ironic. I might have like yelled at people on this podcast. It's not my intention. I'm sorry. I'm just very passionate. Um but if people are getting yelled at, like it's hard for them to to hear you. 
they're just going to be defensive of their stance, right? Um, so it is when stakes are really high, when emotions are really freaking high, that it's necessary for us to bring it down, to like really take a step back or five to breathe, to like think about what our intentions are and what are we trying to convey? What do we want people to understand? Some people, yeah, maybe they just need a quick, you know, kick to the ass. I think a lot of the politicians right now do need to be held completely accountable. And I hope that all of this ridiculousness way beyond the racism, but the like the stock market BS, the freaking just like manipulation of people, the people who are profiting off of other people's death and despair is completely disgusting. Like there are a lot of issues with capitalism that I think we're all going to come face to face with. And we are coming face to face with in light of our healthcare system, in light of our educational system. Like there's so many issues about everything, like our corporate systems with parental leave and like unemployment and what are our values? Like everything is being looked at right now. And we got time because right now, for what I understand, at least in SoCal, we got at least until May to sit and think about this. So while everybody's doing their Netflix binges and there's eventually going to become like boring and we run out of things to watch, um, just in between them, I hope that people will really take this time not only to really look at what they themselves are doing in light of all of this, what our values are, how we're going to contribute, what actions we want to take, um, but who to hold accountable. Because I'm not saying like, okay, just take it, breathe and chill and like be zen and align your chakras and everything's going to be okay. Like, no, do all those things so that we can act. Do all those things so that we can, so we can effectively channel all of the everything that we're feeling right now into something that is going to yield something productive and constructive, right? Because I don't think at the end of the day, we want more death and destruction, even though it might feel that way in that moment because you're just so freaking angry um, and stressed out and hopeless. But that's not what's going to long run make you better. It's going to be the bitter pill that you have to swallow now, which maybe is patience, which maybe is, you know, rational thinking and and going to a town hall meeting virtually <laughs> or whatever it is, doing something uncomfortable that you're not used to. But that might be the key to like what actually turns the tide in this. So therefore, I, I just kind of want to reiterate, like, we are all in this together, whether we like it or not. Um, and what's happening out there, you know, as much as we want to, like, shut it out, we can't. <laughs> um, and that's okay. And we can accept that and figure out a way to contribute what we can. That means we have to call out the BS that's happening out there, report it to the FBI if necessary. And we also have to call out the BS internally. I am definitely sitting here recognizing the way that I have approached racism, what I have internalized, what I have um, shut out, and the ways that I've contributed I know for sure if I looked back on like the letters and like notes that I wrote in middle school and high school are so cringy and so shameful. Like it would be that's like, thank God I wasn't on Twitter at that time. You know what I mean? Like that would be something that'd be really bad to come bite me in the butt now. Um, they are written in analog on pen and paper. So hopefully they can stay there. And I, honestly, maybe I should just burn all of it. But it's a reminder, like people grow, we evolve, we're we're stupid and ignorant at certain times, and then we can wake up and be better. That is, that is the capacity for human growth. And I believe that we're all capable of it. And in light of this, in this checkpoint, um, where we're recognizing we have a long road to walk, in the grand scheme of things, it's actually a very short amount of time. But right now, it feels exceptionally long. And in light of that, we have to prepare mentally, physically, financially, like 
There are things we need to do in order to ensure our own stability, our own security, our own safety. And that's the part that I want to encourage and feed because I believe in every person that's listening to this, I believe in your ability to make your impact and that your impact means something and that it does make a freaking difference. It's not just anybody who's like John Legend or The Rock or whatever. Like you don't have to be a celebrity to make influence. I say that so many times on this freaking podcast. I feel like it's such a like cliche at this point. But I don't want anybody to forget that. I want you to remember that you have your circle of influence. You have a voice and it is not only your opportunity, but it's your responsibility to use it to help yourself and help others, right? Um, Just figure out how to help make this better. That's all I'm asking. And going back to my original point, that starts with you social distancing, okay? So just do it. Just stay home. So there's one long, very rant. Love, Minji. Um, I really do love all of you. This is coming from a 110% place of love. And uh, yes, if I if I said anything completely ridiculous, I hope you'll forgive me. And I hope to have more conversations about this. I'm learning with every single conversation. And I really quickly want to give a shout out to Paul Date because we recorded a really great conversation that I had where um, he schooled me. He was the one who like, I said something and that's where I recognized. I was like, oh, I think I'm approaching this all wrong. Um, So I apologize that that conversation is not going to be live. We'll do another podcast. But I want to thank Paul for just being a dope ass person and friend and us having, you know, opposing views and like helping each other with our perspectives and listening. It was really eye-opening and fed a lot of the, the everything that I just said for the last hour. So thank you to Paul. And um, I hope that you guys are not just social distancing, but washing your freaking hands. Um, look into the mask usage. You know, there's a lot of different opinions about the efficacy of that. And there is a shortage. So contribute where you can do what you can and help people out. Um, donate extra supplies. If you have donate to people, even $5, $1 goes a long way. You know what I'm saying? If like, a million of us donated one dollar. It's a big difference. That's a million dollars. Um, and just be there for each other, right? There's a lot of mental exhaustion and stress that's happening right now. This is already a, a stressful situation for everybody, baseline. But if you are in a better place, if you have more financial stability, you're not as just be there for a friend. Reach out and check in on them. And I think this is going to be a really important time for all of our relationships to remember who was there for us and to be really grateful for that. Um and also be there for yourself, like help yourself, do the meditation, do the do the exercising. Um, if you're feeling like you're in a dark place, don't over promise or overextend yourself, like take space for yourself. And like, literally, your job is to take care of yourself because also sidebar cortisol really can cause further inflammation and it's really bad for your immune system. So keep that in check. Um, and again, shout out to... Uh, to 18 Million Rising for hosting such a great webinar this past weekend to give us information and resources on how to address this. All the panelists were so amazing. And I hope that you guys will go check them out and see what other information you can find on how to contribute and get educated on this. Because far be it from me, I am not an authority on this. I just am an opinionated person with a podcast. Um, Yeah, be there for each other. There are people who are more at risk and we may not know. Spread love spread love virtually <laughs> in your own safe distance um and yeah thank you to marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer i want to close this episode out um 
There's a song that uh, Year of the Ox put out called Viral. And um, it's a very powerful song. It might be uh, triggering to people, but um, I just appreciate like the art and the conversation that they've they've created. And um, yeah, I mean, this is part of the dialogue, right? It educated me. It, the video itself was very powerful too. Um, so I hope that you'll check it out and, and see what's up. And shout out to You're the Ox, to Rick. And you guys are amazing. And I just appreciate you guys so much. So thank you for your contribution to the conversation and being a space where other people can, can learn and um, process all of this. So... Um, yeah, that is the song that we'll be closing this out to. And shout out to Wong Fu Productions. They were the ones that uh, also put out the video. And uh, next week, or not even next week, a few days from now, I'm going to put out two episodes this week, is a conversation that I have with Wes Chan. And Wes and I get to check in on everything, too, so you'll hear more about me and my thoughts on coronavirus. Um, but Wes is just such a great guy, super thoughtful. He's a great sound uh, voice of reason. So I hope that you guys enjoy that episode. It'll be really great. But uh, thank you to Marvin Ewing, my audio engineer and producer. I think I already said that. I have no sense of anything at this point. And thank you to Aquafina for use of her song, Yellow Ranger for the intro. And shout out to You're the Ox for use of their song, Viral, for the outro. And if you guys would like to support me in this time, uh, just putting it out there, you can go to patreon.com slash first of all podcast and become a backer. Uh, we're going to have our Google Hangouts. Uh, I'm actually considering... Actually, I'll announce this another time once I actually make a decision. <laughs> There's a lot I'm thinking about, but... End of the day, be healthy, be well, breathe, drink lots of water, take your vitamins, do your research, check your facts, help each other, spread love, and be well, okay? I love all of you, and I will talk to you soon. Bye! Makes people do crazy things, your mind switched to auto. If I die, then everyone dies, it becomes the model. You're locking me in my house, and my freedom's what you fucking with. Then fuck you, I'm leaving every elevator button lit. You try to throw my cousin in a box, then you broke her neck. Separated families, the phone's out, now it won't connect. That's why I hate you. Spit on your face, show no respect. Left us out to die, no one heard our cries, cause no one's left. You know the story. Hey Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 